It's Talking Football with Vince Tracy and Rob Daniels. So a very good day. Welcome to everybody. It is, um, well, it's a nice day today. We've had very, very unusual weather. All sorts of weird things happening with the equipment. Um, probably to do with the electrics. We don't know for sure, but it's very, very, very annoying to say the very least uh, when things don't work as they should do. However, uh, from the frozen waste, we're now warming up a little bit. Let's go down to uh, San Juan and find out whether Rob Daniels has got nice weather and whether or not um, things are doing well for him down there. Morning, Rob. Yeah, morning, Vince. Good morning, everybody. Oh, it's a lovely day down here today, Vince. It's a beautiful spring day, all the blossoms out and everything. Um, but we did have a massive electrical storm, didn't we, two nights ago? Uh, it was one of those proper full-on storms in the middle of the night. Um, thunder and lightning. I think it was out to sea because uh, it looked like it was out to sea to me. But um, that has affected quite a lot of things. Um, People are having power cuts and all sorts, weren't they? So uh, the technical problems might be down to that, but it was an absolutely spectacular storm. OK, well, look, talking about spectacular storms, um, the footballers are taking a... In England, the footballers are taking a break from social media. Um, they seem to be of the opinion that the world's going to come to an end if they're not twitting, tweeting and uh, Instagramming and all the other sorts of things that you have come to expect them to do. Thierry Henry was on TV yesterday morning pontificating rather about, um, you know, the advantages of um, the social media. But um, are they kidding themselves? Are they that important and will it affect how uh, centuries of um, feelings with people regarding the likes of the uh, black lives and all that sort of thing is it going to be that big a deal do you think well what do you think i've got no idea how it uh, is going to go vince and as you know i'm not particularly big into social media um but it's this is initiative has actually come from the players themselves i think and it runs across the whole um, the whole four different divisions of professional football and women's football as well. They're going to have a media blackout um, through their own choice from Friday the 1st of May in the afternoon, I think it starts, until Monday the 3rd of May in the evening. And this is a protest from the players um, about being abused online. Now, it's not just racial abuse, it's general abuse. Um, a lot of the uh, female footballers... You get some really ignorant people, don't you? And they, they, they've been abused just because they're women playing football. Um, obviously, there will be racial abuse involved, but just if somebody's had a bad match, they get death threats and things. And um, I say, I don't know how this protest is going to work, but um, because I don't use social media very often, but a lot of people do these days, don't they? And a lot of footballers um, are targets for abuse, so they're going to they're going to have a blackout from Friday till uh, Monday. OK, well, I, I don't really follow it. Well, I just don't follow the social media with the footballers because, quite frankly, um, I, I just think the it gets very, very trite. They have enough money and publicity, so I'm too busy doing other things. But I think if anything does help people to get across the message of, you know, no racism, I'm all for 
maybe any slight advantage that might bring us, which is a bit of a shame because when you look at the Champions League semi-finals last night and the night before, we had two wonderful games. I'm pretty sure that you're going to tell me that you felt the exact same, that they were very good games, weren't they? Oh, they were, yes. It was uh, top-quality football, wasn't it? Um, Real Madrid um, played Chelsea on Tuesday night and it was a one-all draw. Now, the first half of that match, um, Chelsea went one up, but the, um, and Real Madrid had to play catch-up. The first half was absolutely brilliant from both teams. It was like, um, more or less like a tennis match. It was just from one end to the other, bang, 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 wasn't it? They didn't stop. They uh, ran out of steam towards the end of the second half, but uh, that's normal because they, uh, they do have a very heavy schedule, but both teams were really going for it. I really enjoyed it. Um, last night, we had Paris Saint-Germain against Man City. Man City won that away from home 2-1. Um, and the return matches the next week. So it could be a Real Madrid-Man City final or a Chelsea-Man City or even Paris Saint-Germain. There's no, nobody's through yet. But, um, yeah, two really good matches, I thought, Vince. OK, well, I think the big thing that's coming across is that even though there weren't any fans... Um, at least the games have been very good games. They've been quality games. Uh, didn't particularly like Neymar's play acting a little bit, but it did look as if the French were getting a bit excitable um, towards the end because obviously, uh, you know, they thought they'd got it in the bag with the 1-0 and then went back to 2-1. I think uh, that's really part and parcel of dare I say, phlegmatic approach from the likes of German teams and uh, English teams in a general sense. They don't tend to go to pieces as quickly as the uh, the French and maybe the Italian teams. But having said that, um, I was thinking more in terms of the rugby, uh, you know, where they don't seem to be able to um, control their emotions. Uh, so, yeah, interesting to say uh, the very, very least. Now, the big thing that I thought came out of um, the match is looking at Pochettino and listening to or reading from the papers that he reckons Guardiola is the best manager that there is. I think when you look at these guys, you're Tuchel as well and um, obviously uh, Zinedine Zidane, um, we we talk quite often about your manager and obviously Jurgen Klopp. These guys have got tremendous s skills, really, to be able to manage uh, groups of players who use different languages and have different comprehension, maybe, around, say, you know, the word Negrita was one thing, Negrito, that came up during the... The, the, the likes of what was happening with Luis Suarez and various other people, uh, the Valencia game against Cadiz, that, that was another example. You know, there's much more to managing a football team than just turning up and watching them play and train, isn't there? Oh, there definitely is, Vince. Um, to be a football manager must be an extremely stressful job. Um, that's probably why a lot of ex-players don't go into football management because they will have seen from being players how difficult a football manager's job is. Now, I've never managed a football team. Um, I know Eric has, so uh, Eric's got experience in this kind of thing. Um, but, um, yeah, it is very stressful, I would imagine, for most of them. And there's a lot of mutual respect between the uh, the managers, as far as I'm aware. There are certain managers that were unpopular, but there's still respect involved. Um, Pep Guardiola, for example, is really good friends with uh, Marcelo Bielsa. 
And when he was first starting management, Pep, he used to look up to uh, Bielsa as like a kind of mentor. Um, because obviously uh, um, Bielsa is, is older and has more experience, but Pep used him, if you like, as a, as, as a reference when he was uh, first starting off as a manager. So uh, they all know each other. And uh, yeah, I think there's a lot of mutual respect, but um, we have to realise it's a very, very difficult job, isn't it? I mean, they're managing some, yeah, some of the biggest prima donnas in the world, aren't they, some of these managers, such as Neymar, as you say, who goes down far too easily. But Pochettino has got to deal with um, people like him. I mean, I think he's a very enthusiastic player, but he also can throw a tantrum, can't he? So it's not, it isn't an easy job, I wouldn't say, Vince. Well, I seem to think, my memory seems to see uh, Arsene Wenger as one of the first managers to come in and show this range of skills you know the obviously the ability for football but also the way that we can look at the training methods and looking at the um, eating patterns and things like that uh, but also being able to look at the management of their social life because this is now being demonstrated via the social media blackout that the footballers themselves seem to th- to see themselves as far more than just a footballer. They, uh, you know, maybe maybe some of them have had good education, but a lot of them don't have good education. And so, therefore, to come in and start feeling that they can influence the world through their social media is a new dimension to what existed. Well, yes, it's just part and parcel of the modern world, isn't it, Vince? I mean... Um... But I know that a lot of people do follow social media. I mean, uh, you don't particularly, and I don't, but um, I know of people who spend basically all day on Twitter and Facebook if, if they've got nothing else to do. And the, the players are basically just, well, they, they're going to do this protest over the weekend. Um, we'll just have to say, maybe next week we'll be able to talk about if it's had any effect or not. It okay. certainly won't have any effect on me. <laughs> okay, I'm going to... Pre- put something that was a nice piece of news about a player called Gundogan of Manchester City and you're going to give me a bit of his background uh, as he gives 3,000 meals to Indonesia so well done to him I think he's got Turkish background hasn't he yes um, he's called um, Ilkay um, Gundogan he's a German professional footballer Uh, he's a midfielder and he plays for Man City at the moment. He's having a really, really good season. Um, but yes, originally is of Turkish origin. Like uh, quite a lot of the uh, German footballers these days are of Turkish origin. But he's actually German nationality. And yes, he made a very uh, kind donation, didn't he? I mean, obviously he can afford it. But um, he did it through, well, off his own back, if you like. He didn't. Uh, he wasn't forced into it. It was a voluntary action. I think it's uh, good on him. Yeah, I'm, I'm exactly with you. So well done to him as we look next at the fallout from the European Super League. Now, uh, obviously, um, we know through the media of certain parts of this, like the English clubs all backing away from it. But um, the, um, Florentino Perez from the Manchester, sorry, the Real Madrid 
perspective is saying that everybody's tied into the contracts and that uh, basically he's going to exercise the legal aspects of this and that basically everybody can see that um, um, you know he's right as far as this is concerned having said that I'm thinking back to the the figures that came out I think it was last week through the BBC that the most expensive club in the world was Barcelona followed by Real Madrid and they were just a billion pounds behind which tends to make me think that he would probably stop at nothing uh, to make sure that he gets his million billion pounds made up uh, as far as I'm concerned um, you know I don't think this one has been put to bed I did dig out a podcast from July 2006 I think it was but whichever way we're going back that far and the headline that we were discussing on my panel of sporting people at Ondothero was the fact that uh, there was an assault by UEFA and the European Union on the English Premier League so that was something that was about then which we discussed and luckily I've kept the podcast so I don't think this has gone away yet do you? Oh, it hasn't got away, Vince, no. I mean, um, the recent attempt has failed um, quite dreadfully and the clubs involved um, will just have to wait and see if there are any actual sanctions on them. But uh, this idea has been spoken about since the uh, 1970s, actually. And it, th- to have a European kind of Super League. And this isn't the first time Florentino Perez has actually tried it. Um, he put a proposal forward in 2009 very similar to the one that they put forward um, last week, and that failed as well. But it's something that um, the, the top teams, especially the teams that are only money orientated, um, are going to continue with. Um, I, don't, I can't see it happening myself because it is really unpopular. Um, Alan Shearer, who's still the uh, top Premier League goal scorer with 261 goals, um, he's a Geordie as well, so he speaks his mind. He, he just said it was universally despised. Um, the managers, <clears throat> the managers of the top teams, weren't even told this was going to happen before it was announced um, to the world. So they found out basically at the same time as we did. And Jurgen Klopp came out straight away and condemned the idea, as did Pep Guardiola and uh, and most of the others, or all of the others basically. But even people who weren't actually involved in the top uh, those twelve teams. Um, but yeah, it's all about money, isn't it? It's, it's um, and the big clubs, as we know, with, uh, with the present coronavirus crisis and things like that, they are losing a lot of money, or they're not making a lot of money, should we say. Um, I wouldn't say that Real Madrid are particularly losing that, but they need to keep um, generating income, don't they? And this breakaway idea, fortunately, it failed, but I think it will come back uh, sooner or later it will come back and hopefully they'll never they'll never manage it because uh, it will just take all the joy out of football really well juventus have got to make their mind up quickly because the italian federations are saying that by june the 21st if everybody hasn't come away from the super league they're going to chuck them out of the italian leagues so at least uh, it looks like that's um, a positive step in italy as i then remind myself that I still see that the Chinese are involved in this. Why do I say that? Well, I went back to college. I uh, had been a manager of um, a business manager. So I thought like a business manager. 
um, when I went into the uh, college, I uh, decided to go and look at the Communist Party manifesto in which Marx and Engels quite uh, clearly stated that if you want to defeat capitalism, then you uh, have got to um, defeat the family. Now, here in Spain, of course, um, you know, late at night I can see the documentaries regarding the Spanish Civil War and you can see 300,000 people died in this country and now you can quite clearly see why people are likely to be more compliant in Spain than in other countries. And so I'm asking myself, am I really going mad when I see, um, you know, something as ludicrous and as... Um, sort of provocative as this European Super League. Why would anybody want it? Who would pay for it? There's no money about. If there's no money about and they're still managing to pay these ridiculously and immoral sums of money to the footballers, who's got the money? Where's the money coming from? If we know that Spain as a country isn't the richest in the world, then we've got to look and find out where the money is likely to come from. We know that in the past, um, the Americans always had gold to back the dollar. Now, who's got the money at the moment? Could it be the Chinese? Because they have got the cryptocurrency. They've just decided that they're going to go into crypto. And if you are going to want to disrupt um, everybody and control them um, at the same time. You've got to have lots and lots of young men who would be the people who would go out and maybe go on the streets. Uh, you've got to keep them occupied. China's been trying to get into football for a long time. Am I off my head, Rob, or can you see anything in what I'm saying? Well, Vince, um, I know that it's something that you um, are very passionate about. And I tend to agree with you along most of the things that you say. But this Super League idea is definitely all about money. Um, there's nothing else in it. And obviously, it's to do with um, live TV and uh, internet streaming rights and things like that to, uh, to watch the matches. And China has got the biggest population in the world. So, and they are interested in football. And obviously, they're going to, um, the Middle East countries as well, extremely wealthy countries who don't have particularly um, high, high standards of football in their own leagues, are prepared to pay to watch um, top-flight football. And all the clubs need to make some, generate some income. But if they broke away and made the, some kind of Super League, there'd be no promotions, no relegations. It would just basically be like a circus. Um, and there'd be no incentive for other teams. And a lot of... Well, it'd basically ruin the whole of the uh, football pyramid in all of the countries involved. Um, but yeah, it's all about money, and the Chinese um, are probably behind it somewhere, like I say, because they, they've got such a large population, they want to give their people something to do, as you say, so that the young people are, are occupied doing something rather than thinking about the uh, system that they have to live under. And yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if um, the Chinese in the Middle East have something to do with it. Okay, fact, well... They, 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 they probably do. 
Okay, we can't prove it one way or another. Like everybody else, we're feeling powerless. We're feeling controlled. We're missing the the, the crowds coming into the the games because this is not football. I mean, if the Chinese or anybody else want to control us all and change the game of football, what you've forgotten is that people have memories. Oh, hang on. Maybe if we manage to get rid of the older people and take away their memories uh, so that not only do we save via the pensions, but we save from the memories of people who've grown up with little minnow clubs doing well in the FA Cup and things like that. Maybe that's part of it, Rob. Maybe I'm totally and utterly up up the wall. Uh, But let's go next to Spotify, where the founder... Daniel Ek, who is Swedish, worth about £4.7 billion, has managed to get together a bid for buying Arsenal. And in his bid, he's got uh, Thierry Henry, Dennis Bergkamp and Patrick Vieira, two household names from very famous days with Arsenal. Um, Arsenal, the Crankies, well, they're uh, a comedy duo. Um, um, Unfortunately, they are the Crankies. This is the Cronkies. And Stan Cronky, 73-year-old, took 9.9% of Arsenal in 2007. That was up to 62.87 in 2011. He owns the NFL Los Angeles Rams and the NBA uh, Denver Nuggets. Um, I mean, really, really, it's got to the stage where it's not about football anymore. It's about empires of which they're taking the best of the football clubs that are in the English Premier League and whacking them in as part of their empires. It's getting a bit messy. What do you think of the Arsenal situation? Well, to start off with, Vince Wee, Jimmy Cranky, is now leading Scotland, isn't she? So, uh, <laughs> but to get on to the football point, yeah. um, yes, the the this um, Cranky family from the United States um, own a lot of what they call in the states they call them franchises, don't they? Sports clubs are classed as franchises. Um, it's only about making money. It's about entertainment, but basically entertainment and making money. I bet this guy, if he's seventy-three year old American, I bet he doesn't even know the rules of football. Um, and the takeover bid, yes, it's this guy, uh, Daniel Eck, who is the um, founder of Spotify, the uh, on- online music streaming service, and three ex-Arsenal players, uh, three ex-Arsenal legends, actually, Dennis Bergkamp, Patrick Vieira, and Thierry Henry. And they have put in a £3 million um, offer to um, take over, three billion, yeah, £3 billion, uh, to take over Arsenal. Um, and because basically because of this European Super League, because the fans, I mean, uh, you will see outside all of the stadiums in the UK but or England, but the Arsenal fans were en masse protesting about this because it, it just took football completely away from the fans. And I think these guys, although this uh, Daniel Ek is a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, he's still a young guy, and the other three are all ex-Arsenal legends, they, if they take over, I think uh, it might be a good idea. Uh, it'll take it away from the hands of uh, American corporations, at least. And we know that the three ex-players have got a personal interest in Arsenal. I don't know about this Daniel Ek. He's Swedish, but he might be an Arsenal supporter. Um, but, um, yeah, the, I, think it'll be good. I think it'll be good for Arsenal as a football team. And I think also 
Mikel Arteta's project, which is not going particularly well this season, but you can see where his, the nucleus of his project is. Um, at the, the way it stands at the moment, he could be sacked at any minute. I think if they took it over with the ex-players, I think they would all have some input. Um, and I think they would give Mikel Arteta um, more chance to uh, get his ideas together. But, um, yeah, that's the situation at Arsenal at the moment, as I say, events. OK. And, of course, if uh, it's another consortium coming in with money that's not British money, you start thinking to yourself, what's going to happen in the future? Will we ever have those halcyon days where Leicester came from nowhere and uh, suddenly, you know, they're up in the top flight and, of course, they had for foreign money as well. So let's give you another example of, say, I don't know, there's, there's very little where there's not foreign money come in. It's just basically you then start thinking back to the days when Eric was talking about this on the other podcast with me this week about the, the chairman and uh, all the money going through the turnstiles and um, nobody really challenged where that money went. So it became very, very interesting when I was talking to Eric, when we were talking about, you know, nobody seemed to think about where did all the money go that went through the turnstiles. Uh, they were They were happier days, but I mean, we had days when, I can remember crowds of 125,000 being quoted, you know, um, to see international fixtures and things like that in England. Uh, very, very, very changing times, aren't they? Oh, completely different from uh, back then, Vince. Yes. Um, I don't know if you've, you've seen the film um, The Damned United, which is uh, basically it's about Brian Clough and his 40 day stay as Leeds United manager yep. in 1974. Now, Prior to that, and, and after that, he took uh, Nottingham Forest to the heights as well, didn't he? But he, he was the manager at uh, Derby County. And he managed to get Derby County from the bottom end of the second division to um, winners of the old first division, as it was called in those days, um, in a couple of seasons because of his management skills and because they, um, Peter Taylor, his partner, could pick the right players. But the um, chairman of Derby County was just basically raking in the money. The reason that Brian Clough, Clough got sacked, actually, from Derby is that they um, Derby were playing Juventus in the old well, the European Cup, I think it was called, before the Champions League started. And the week before, they were playing Leeds, Don Revy's Dirty Leeds, as they uh, used to be called. And Brian Clough decided to part with his best team, team against Leeds, and half of them they got injured. So when they played Juventus, they got beaten by Juventus, and... He got sacked because the chairman wasn't happy because they want they just he was just interested in the money um, that they would have got if they'd have progressed further in the European Cup. So um, yeah, there's always been it's always been about money really at the end of the day, but it didn't seem like that back then, did it? We didn't think about it as much, I don't think. Um, but these days, as you say, it's all it's all big multinational consortiums, especially in the Premier League, um, and yeah. It's it's taken everything away from now. Fans can't go. It's yeah. It's it's, it's the fans really who uh, suffer every time, isn't it? Okay, before we move to on the pitch and uh, looking at the likes of La Liga and the Premier League, a very strange thing happening in the courts with Ryan Giggs, the ex-Manchester United player, now co-owner of Salford City and a suspended manager of Wales. Um, very, very strange, isn't it, that these ladies um, have brought him to court and the charges that he's got controlling 
um, or coercive behaviour. You've got a little bit of background on this, haven't you? Well, yes, Vince, um, we better um, state from the start that this is all alleged at the moment. Um, Ryan Giggs has been charged, but he hasn't been found guilty or, or not guilty. Um, hopefully, he will be found not guilty, but that's for the courts to decide. It's not for us to decide. Um, but basically, what Ryan Giggs has been charged with is um, headbutting his girlfriend when he was drunk and then um, assaulting, I think it was one of her friends as well. So basically, there's two women who've uh, brought who brought this case against him, and he's been suspended as the Wales manager. Um, Wales are playing in the uh, European Championships uh, if they go ahead this summer, and his assistant manager is going to take the Wales team to uh, to all these matches. He's been suspended as the national manager of his team. Um, it's not the first time Ryan Giggs has been in trouble either. So you'd think by this stage, he's 47, you'd think he'd know how to keep his head down. But when he was still playing a few years ago now, in fact, we actually spoke about it at the time, I think we were still at OCI, he was found out to have been having an affair for eight years with his brother's wife. Um, so he just, he just can't keep it in his trousers by the looks of things. And he should really, hopefully he'll be found not guilty. That's what I say, but... Um, no smoke without fire and it's it's done his reputation no good whatsoever um so yeah uh, it's it's quite quite a sad story really but um we'll have to wait and see what the courts decide but this is where the football authorities need to start getting their acts together better you know just as we now have been talking about the footballers and their role in social media um there are players all the time who have done things and yet been allowed to come back into football and make more money um the managers are exactly the same i mean it's not that long ago when the likes of sam allardyce was disgraced um think that was something to do with um betting and matches or something like that um and yet uh, right now he's back as a, 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 a manager and it just seems to be that the, there are rules for the footballers that don't transcend into society. They seem almost like they're above the um, the other rules that everybody else has to live by. So I do hope that one way or another, once the uh, thing has been through court, either people realize that you know uh, somebody has set him up or he has got to take responsibility for the way that he works that's the way i see that one yes well um i agree vince uh, it's i say it's all up to the courts to decide whether or not he's he's being set up by these two women it's impossible to say at the moment whether or not what they're saying is true again i i can't really comment on that but that's the situation he finds himself in and you, yeah, you would think at his age now, especially um, being involved in a scandalous situation while he was still a player, you'd think he would have more sense, wouldn't you? You'd think he'd know how to keep his head down. But um, but there you go. Sometimes footballers, as, as Eric often says, they're not the uh, sharpest tools in the box, are they? So we now turn our attention to matters on the pitch. And La Liga is looking really exciting. Rob's going to tell us about uh, four teams now who are likely to um, contest the final uh, outcome. But also there's a big battle at the relegation end. So, Rob, over to you. Right, Vince. Yes, well, um, 
La Liga at the moment. There's five matches left. Really, really hotting up at the top. Um, we mentioned earlier in the season that uh, Atletico Madrid at one stage, I think they had a 13-point advantage at the top. They're still in top position at the moment, but on 33 matches, they've got 73 points. All of the teams have played. No, Barcelona one match behind, actually. You've got Atletico Madrid, 73. Real Madrid, 71. Barcelona, 71. And Sevilla, in fourth place, on 70. Now, Barcelona play this evening against Granada, and they're playing at home. If they beat Granada, Barcelona will actually take over the leading spot from Atletico Madrid, which at one stage it looked like they were going to be runaway winners, didn't it? Um, it could be down to any any one of those four teams. Personally, I would quite like to see Sevilla win it. Um, not that I've got anything particularly against the other teams. It's just that Sevilla is, is not one of the big three, is it? It's probably the fourth, but um, we'll just have to wait and see. But I still think, I'm not going to change my mind, um, Atletico Madrid... I think, are on for winning it. Now, down at the bottom end of the table, um, we've got Valencia, which we talk about a lot, which is in the mid-table, having a, a mediocre season by their standards. But our local team, um, which is Elche Football Club, which is part of Alicante province, they are in a relegation battle. Um, but there are lots of... There are five teams, three of whom are going to go down, but there are five, possibly six teams, which are all really close to each other um, as far as uh, matches and points go. Now, Elche play Atletico Madrid um, this weekend, so that is going to be a big match. It's going to be um, a relegation battle and a winning the La Liga title battle. Uh, until last night, Elche were actually out of the relegation position, but because Valladolid drew in the final minutes of the match, they jumped over Elche again. So at the moment, we've got Elche, Wesker and Ibar in the relegation positions, but uh, there are three other teams that are fighting it as well. And hopefully Elche will stay in. I hope Elche will stay in. OK. Did I hear right that Simeone in Atletico de Madrid is the highest paid manager in Europe? Would that be right? It might well be right, Vince. Uh, I know that if he isn't the highest paid, he's, he's one of the highest paid. Um, and, well, we, we've spoken about Simeone before, haven't we? He's uh, got great charisma. He's a real showman. And he, his team have been leading La Liga basically all the way through the season. Um, so if he isn't the highest paid, he's definitely one of the highest paid. OK. And the Sevilla manager, is he the guy that used to manage Arsenal? Um, the Sevilla manager? I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'll just... Uh, I, I, be, be, the only reason why I say it is because one of the Spanish managers yeah, is... He's the, he, yeah, he's the, he's the guy who used to uh, manage the... Uh, re, he spent the time at Real Madrid. He also used to manage a Spanish team. He's got. He's a Basque. He's called, he's called um, Lopetegui or something like that he's called. And yes, I don't know if... I can't remember if he used to manage in the um, Premier League or not. But he is a well-known manager in Spain. Um you, you, you might be right, Vince. Off the top of my head, I can't remember if he managed Arsenal or not. But you're talking about just before Arteta. Yeah, because whoever it was is, is recommending that uh, Arsenal stick with Arteta and that basically give him the chance to um, bring his plans, uh, plans to fruition. So uh, remembering what we've been talking about behaviour-wise... Um, Arteta has actually set the the standard for people not messing him about. So, you know, it's interesting to see that um, uh, there are other people that think likewise. 
Well, yes, as we mentioned previous events, um, I think there's a lot of mutual respect amongst uh, many of the managers. And I, I would like to see uh, Mikel Arteta stay at Arsenal, even though I'm not an Arsenal fan. Um, I really like uh, Arteta. I used to like him when he was a player. I think he's an up-and-coming new manager. He's, he's still young for a manager. Um, I, w- I would like, like to see him get at least another few seasons to try and get his um, project actually together. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. If this, if this Arsenal takeover goes ahead, I think they'll give him more chance. If it doesn't go ahead, I can see the American uh, consortium just sacking him one day to the next. OK. Um, we, in passing, did talk a little bit about the Carabao Cup, uh, but... Uh, this is the fact that they've got um, people coming back in. There were, I think it was 2,000 and 2,000 for each side playing. And then 4,000 national health workers were um, also invited in. Now, I think it's laudable that the National Health Service was recognised. But if anything is blatantly political, that has got to be. Uh, because realistically, they wouldn't send uh, 4,000 national health workers to Goodwood or, or, or Chepstow or to the Grand National or maybe um, to see the um, Wimbledon finals. So I find that one a little bit annoying, if I'm honest. Well, it was a trial, wasn't it, to see um, what happens when you get crowds of people together again. Um, everybody who went, um, I think, well, they, they were all volunteers who went. Um, I think, yeah, as you say, there were 2,000 fans from each side, I think, and then the others were made up of members of the National Health Service and also local residents who uh, live in the vicinity of Wembley. Um, everybody was tested on the way in and everybody was tested on the way out. Anybody who was even slightly positive with covid was not allowed through the gates and as far as i'm aware nobody nobody has caught it since because nobody went in with it and they all came out without it but they're they're testing it out to see what uh, might be able to happen in the future have you you seen that um the crucible in in sheffield they're playing the world snooker championships this week i believe that's indoors as well isn't it Yep, yeah, yep, yeah. and they're doing a similar sort of trial. It's not full like it used to be to capacity because it used to, used to get really, really full. But uh, it's an inside sporting tournament. And they're also doing like a coronavirus probe on that as well. Again, everybody who goes in, I think at the, uh, at the Crucible at Sheffield, I think the, the fans actually have to pay to get in. But everybody's tested on the way in. Everybody's tested on the way out. Anybody who shows any sign of COVID or anything is obviously not allowed in. And it's, it's just experiments they're doing, isn't it? Very interesting, because there was one year they were so crowded in the Crucible, they had people sitting on the table while they were playing. It used to, it, you, it, well, when, when, it, it still would if people were allowed in, wouldn't it? I mean, um, <laughs> but uh, it, it, the snooker the, um, does get really packed and everybody is sitting really, really close together. Um, so, yeah, but it's, it's experience. I think they're doing it in various different other countries as well. But this is what they're doing in the UK at the moment. There's a Dr. McCola. If ever you see his work, read it. He was saying this morning, um, it does seem strange that nobody's ever done a cost-benefit and analysis 
regarding anything that's to do with COVID. So, interesting. Let's uh, take you back now then to the Premier League and we go to the 22nd of the month when Leicester hosted West Brom. I thought West Brom would win 2-1. You thought it would be a draw 2-2. Leicester are really looking the business now. They seem to be cementing their position in the top four. Uh, remembering that also on the 26th, which is just a couple of days ago, they managed to also beat Crystal Palace 2-1. Six points Banging them into the top uh, four, no problems. They look they look good, don't they? They they do look good, Leicester City, don't they? Um, I think they've consolidated themselves over the last few seasons as a team to be reckoned with. Um, yeah, they got six points after the last two matches. They are definitely looking for a Champions League position. Um, the way it's looking at the moment, they're going to get one. They're third place. Got Man City first, Man United, Leicester then Chelsea. And then in the uh, Europa League place, we've got West AM. Mm. Uh, Liverpool, unfortunately, are still out of a uh, European place, which um, it'll be disappointing for the supporters. I bet you're disappointed that they're not in Europe yet. Well, of course I am. But at the end of the day, it's good for football that other teams all have a chance. So, you know, it's not all doom and gloom as we go to Arsenal. Um Mixed bag this year. Mixed bag. They were hosting Everton. I thought they'd get a draw. You thought that Everton would win. You got it spot on. It was nil one. Um, bit of VAR and all sorts going on there, but not much of a game really. What did you think? Yeah, I, I got that result exactly right, actually. Yeah, but uh, I don't know how. But uh, yeah, he ended up uh, Arsenal nil, uh, Everton one. Um, Everton is still trying to look for a European place themselves. They're in with a chance. It's an outside chance, but uh, Arsenal are, are, are having a very mediocre season, aren't they? And they were unlucky in this match with Arsenal because um, Everton went, uh, well, 1-0 up in the 76th minute, and it was a howler of a mistake by the goalkeeper, Bernd Leno. Um, I think he actually went down on the uh, scorecard as a, an own goal by the goalkeeper. He made a real hash of it. But uh, Arsenal were not awarded a penalty by a very controversial VAR decision, which was, um, it was a handball. It was a handball. No, it, it should have been a penalty, but there was an offside, which was part of the earlier stage of this move where the goal went into the back of the net. Uh, should have been a penalty. And it was ruled as offside, but it was ruled as offside by a hair's breadth. It was one of these really, really small, minuscule decisions. Um, it didn't look right to me. Uh, when, when you've got people moving and they do a freeze frame, it, it, when it looks like that, it, it was a bad, bad decision, I would say. But uh, it went against Arsenal and Arsenal lost the match. OK, uh, Liverpool against Newcastle. I thought that would be a draw. I said 2-2, you said 1-2. Um, it could have been 1-2 because Liverpool should have been about six up. Mo Salah scored a brilliant goal. Then it became a comedy of errors with Salah and um, Mane, the chief protagonists of creating the chances and missing them. And then um, Jurgen Klopp took off his two best players. He took off Thiago, who was voted man of the match, definitely the best player on the field. And then he also took off Jota. And uh, I don't understand his tactics and never have done. I, it still makes me think that his number two was probably a better brain as far as tactics were concerned. 
Obviously, we like the man, but uh, we've dropped points again. So that's four points dropped in a week. Do we deserve to be in Europe? The way we're going, no, we don't. No, probably not. And the uh, the point will have done Newcastle uh, a lot of good, actually, because Newcastle is still not safe from relegation. They're fairly safe, but they actually want to get nu- um, numerically safe, don't they? And as you say, uh, Mo Salah scored an excellent goal really early on in the match. I think it was about in the third minute. But then um, him and uh, Mo Salah and Mane basically spent the rest of the match trying to have a, have a competition between themselves to see who could miss by the, by the biggest margin. I mean, they, they were not on target at all. Um, but then it went right to the end. Newcastle um, got the ball in the back of the in the 92nd minute. Um, but that was disallowed for a non-deliberate handball. It was a ridiculous bad decision again. But then in the 90 plus five minute, the 95th minute of the match... Which um, is one minute over, which, which should never have been. No, 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 but um, and no one really expected this to happen. But uh, Liverpool won up from the third minute until the 95th minute when a player called Joe Willock, it was the first, his first goal he scored in the Premier League, um, who got the ball in the back of the net for Newcastle and pulled off the draw. And it was really Liverpool's own fault. As you say, they could have easily won it 5 or 6 nil, But uh, the shooting was so far off target that um, I think Newcastle basically deserved the draw. The Newcastle goalkeeper, his guy called Dubravka, he made some brilliant saves, actually, in, um, during the match to keep Liverpool out when they did get it on target. But, yeah, the ball was flying all over the place for Liverpool, except into the back of the net. OK, we went to West Ham and they were hosting Chelsea. And I saw it as a 1-2, you saw it as a 2-1, and uh, it was nil one Chelsea did what they have to do. Um you know, I still think Frank Lampard deserves a bit of credit for the team that are playing, uh, but uh, Tuchel certainly has got the team operating well, hasn't he? Well, yes, it's, it is still Frank Lampard's team, isn't it? Uh, Frank Lampard built that team up um, around his own ideas. And I, I would have, well, I didn't have any to say in it at all, but um, I think it was unfair of him to be uh, sacked when he was sacked. But this new guy, Thomas Tuchel, has taken Frank Lampard's team and he's actually getting results with them. Um, he he is, a, is an experienced trainer and he's basically turned around Chelsea's fortunes. This match between the pair of them, apart from the fact it was a, a London derby, the, the hundredth time they've played in the top flight, apparently these two against each other. So there's like local rivalry. But um, it was basically who could secure the Champions League place. And Chelsea won it, so now Chelsea are in the Champions League place and West Ham are in the Europa League place. So, um, yeah, only one goal in it, but um, I said it was an important match for both teams. Sheffield United won Brighton nil. I thought Brighton would win that one, but once again, uh, Rob Daniels predicted it correctly, 1-0 to Sheffield. They haven't got much to play for apart from pride, but uh, certainly Brighton needed those points, so they will have felt like three points have been totally and utterly dropped. Um, What did you think of that game? Well, Vince, that's another one that I predicted correctly. And the reason I went for Sheffield United is because now they've got nothing to lose um, except their own pride. They've been relegated. Nothing worse can happen to them, so they can play freely. And um, they actually got the goal that won the match. Doesn't do Brighton any favours because Brighton are not 100% safe either um, from the relegation zone. They should be all right, but 
basically Brighton also needed to get the points, don't they? they need to get as many points as possible. Um, did you spot Graham Potter's um, black eye? Um, no. Right. Well, Graham Potter had a, a really obvious black eye with a, with a cut underneath his left eye. And how he actually got it, he was out uh, having a walk on the beach with his family. And he was away in his own thoughts, thinking about the, the, the team, because it's a 24-7 job, I think, he's being a manager. And he, he tripped over his own feet and landed um, on a metal fence. And he was lucky, actually, not to do himself more damage. But uh, he made light of it. He, uh, when he was interviewed, he said, that's, that's the end of my modelling career. And he said that his wife actually thought it makes him look more macho. But, um, yeah, family walk on the beach, he tripped over and was very lucky not to do himself more damage. Wolves nil, Burnley four, and Chris Woods. That was the show. Uh, great um, hat-trick, first half hat-trick, wasn't it, Rob? Yes, it was. Now, um, this, this guy, Chris Wood, he got a hat-trick in the first half of the match. Now, this is the first time that a player in the Premier League has scored a hat-trick in the first half of the match this century. So that's like more than 20 years. Um, he didn't realise it. He only found out, I think, at the end of the match. Um, it was the match of his life. He did play really, really well. Yeah, he was actually, he set up the fourth goal. Um, Ashley Westwood scored in the 85th minute and that was actually set up by Chris Wood. Burnley are now nine points clear of the relegation zone. So uh, they, they seem to be fairly safe at the moment. Um, Wolves had nothing to show for it at all. They, they, they didn't come out to play at all. So uh, Wolves nil, Burnley four. And uh, your team Leeds were hosting Manchester United. You said they'd win 2-1. I thought it would be a draw. I was proven correct. And... Um, really, I didn't think it was that good a game. Although, having said that, it must be feeling really good for a, for any Leeds fan after, I think it was 6-1, wasn't it, that the last time the teams met? I can't remember at all, anything about that at all, Vince. Um, 6-1 back in December at, uh, <laughs> at Man United. Yeah. Yes, uh, that Leeds really wanted to go out and uh, re- well, show who they are. I mean, in the last three matches, let's face it, Leeds, they beat Man City. And the only team to not have lost against Man City in both matches this season, one of them was a draw. They beat City, um, at, well, away from home as well. Then last week, they uh, had a draw against Liverpool. Man United Leeds, or Leeds Man United in this case, it's always a, a big match, isn't it? Because they've got a lot of rivalry. Um, it was a nil-nil draw at the end of the match. It wasn't the best match to, um, to watch, basically, but because um, the ball didn't go in the back of the net. But uh, Leeds were happy with that result. I think Man United weren't, because Man United is still with an outside chance of catching City. And that might well have put their hopes uh, out the window. Okay, with Villa 2, West Brom 2, that's where we leave the reviews. So we go to the predictions next, and the first game on the Friday night, Southampton are playing Leicester. The high flyers from Leicester go to Southampton, not particularly good at home. How do you see that one panning out? Right, well, Vince, yes, Southampton don't have a particularly good record at home. Um, Leicester City are dead serious on getting a Champions League place 
Um, I can see Leicester City doing it. I can see it being Southampton 1, Leicester City 2. OK, I've gone for the same score. Brendan Rodgers, undervalued, underrated. I like the guy, did well for us. As we go to Crystal Palace with another Liverpool manager at home to Manchester City. Uh, Manchester City, I cannot see uh, slipping up on this one, although Crystal Palace can be a little bit difficult at home. How do you see this one going? Right, well, um, City still haven't secu- uh, secured the um, the league yet, have they? Uh, nope. Numerically, they could still be caught by uh, Man U, I think. They're going to want to get it over with as soon as possible. Crystal Palace um, can park the bus and things like that, but they, they're not neither going up nor down. They're not going to get relegated. I think City are going to go out all out for it. And I can see City winning it 1-3. OK, I've gone for 0-3 as we go to Brighton, desperate for the points. Who are they going to try and get the points from? Your team, Leeds. How do you see this one panning out? Well, I'm afraid Brighton can forget about the points against Leeds, mate. Um, Brighton are not numerically safe either. In fact, they are in quite a precarious position um, still. But I think Leeds, after their recent performances... Um, they can go out and showboat, basically. They've got nothing to lose or nothing to win. They're going to stay up. But I can see Leeds going out and putting on a really good uh, entertaining performance and winning it 1-2. OK, and I see Brighton winning it 2-1 because they're desperate for the points as we go to Chelsea, where the visitors are beleaguered flame. Fulham need the points like crazy. If they don't get these points, you may as well just pack in. Um, How do you think this one will end up? Right, well, you're right there, Vince. Uh, full I am, really. They're in the, the third relegation position at the moment. They really do need to um, get some points. And they've only got a few matches left. This is a London derby, so there's no love lost between either team. Chelsea, on the other hand, um, are wanting to secure themselves as a Champions League position. I think both teams will be going full out for it. Um, I can actually see it being in a, a two-all draw. OK, I've put down the same score as we go to Goodison Park. Everton have got Aston Villa coming along. Now, remember Graylish? Uh, the team don't seem to play the same when he's not playing. You might remember there was a story that he was being given sleeping tablets and um, that apparently he's become addicted to them. It is a strange one because he should be back by now. And uh, we see or we did see pictures of him in the stands with his um, modelling gear on, looking on to see his teammates playing. Is he just being held back for the European Championships later in the year? Probably. Um, How do you think this one will go? Right, well, the gritty situation, yes, it's unusual, isn't it? When he he got injured, um, they predicted it was probably about four weeks um, that he'd be off. Because I think it's a thigh injury. I think it's a recurring injury that he's had, actually, unfortunately. But um, he's been away for a lot longer than four weeks now, isn't he? And it might be that they don't want to play him so that he doesn't get injured again before the European Championships in the summer. But Everton are still in an outside chance. We've still got an outside chance of getting into Europe. So I think Everton will be going for it full out. I've got it down as Everton 2, Aston Villa 1. Okay, I think this will be a draw. I've gone for 1 1 as we go to Newcastle, desperate for the points. Arsenal, a bit hit and miss. They're the visitors. Um, I can see Newcastle winning this one 
I'm going for a 2-1 to Newcastle. Yes, I can see um, Newcastle winning this as well, actually, Vince. They have got a nine-point barrier uh, between them and Fulham, um, who are in the uh, relegation zone, but they're still not mathematically safe. Arsenal, as we've already mentioned, are having a pretty mediocre season. Um, and Newcastle are on a good run of form. I can see Newcastle winning this uh, 3-1. Manchester United versus Liverpool. One of the hot fixtures for any Liverpool fan to enjoy. I think Manchester United obviously are playing some good football. Liverpool are playing some good football, but they've got uh, a, a couple of ridiculous players who used to be playing very well, mucking about at the front. I'm afraid I can see Man Manchester United winning this one. I'm going to go 2-1 for Manchester United. Right, well, this is a big match, isn't it? Uh, even from neutral's point of view, Man United, Liverpool, or Liverpool, Man United... It is always one of the best matches or, or one of the most um, important matches, if you like, for the two clubs because of the local rivalry and things like that. The way things are at the moment, Man U is still in with an outside chance of actually winning um, the Premier League. It's very unlikely. Liverpool are going to want themselves to get themselves a European place, aren't they? And uh, they're out of Europe at the moment. I can see both teams really going for it. I can see it being 2-2. OK, well, I hope I'm wrong. As we go to the young 29-year-old Spurs manager, uh, temporary, temporary manager maybe at the moment, he takes on Sheffield United. They've got nothing other than the pride that they have played in the Premier League. So I can see them providing stiff opposition. 1-1 one, one for me. Right, well, yes, um, the uh, interim manager at Spurs, he's 29, I think, isn't he, called Ryan Mason. He, he, he was part of the Mourinho setup, but he's not an experienced manager. He's basically, well, um, his, pl his players know what they're supposed to do, um, and they, they want to get into a, a European position as well. Sheffield United had a good uh, performance the other day, but again, they've got nothing at all now to play for. I think Spurs will go for this. I think Spurs will win it 3-1. And uh, West Brom with the uh, bus inspector parking all the buses uh, in the penalty box. Uh, the visitors are Wolves, who really did come unstuck against Burnley. So I could see West Brom winning this one, probably 3-0. Right, well, West Brom, there's no point in them parking the bus anymore because they desperately need the points. I think with five matches left, they've got to win four out of the next five to um, give themselves any chance of staying up. And they've only won four all, all season. But I think um, West Brom will be going for it because obviously uh, Sam Allardyce has never been relegated as a manager, you know. He is a specialist at keeping teams up, but he's so far in his career, he has never been a manager of a team that has been relegated. Um, Wolves were very mediocre the other day. They got beaten 4-0 um, by Burnley. I can see West Brom going out for it, and I can see them winning two-one. It's also it's also uh, Midlands derby, and both teams were part of the original uh, league setup when uh, in the 1800s, weren't they? Yeah. So it's local rivalry. Wolves would like probably to see West Brom go down just because of the local rivalry, but I can see West Brom pulling it off. And the verb to Allardyce means to not go down with a football team. Um, Burnley in the frozen waste of the northwest of England. They will be hosting West Aim. They'll be probably wearing tights, possibly scarves, maybe overcoats, um, bobble hats, all sorts. 
Can they do it? It's a Friday night game, I believe. Or is it Monday? Monday night game. Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to go for a draw. We have 2-2 draw. I've got it down as a two-all draw as well, Vince. Yes, it's Burnley at home. Um, I mean, we're in spring now, but the climate in Burnley, I think, doesn't really change much all year, does it? I think it's always fairly ropey weather up there. West Ham are going for um, a Champions League place. Burnley are still not uh, mathematically safe, so I'd put it down as a, a two-all draw as well. OK, just um, as we come to the last minute of our podcast today, um, Ronaldo rumoured to be going to Manchester United. Anything that uh, you think could be true? Well, I think um, Cristiano Ronaldo is definitely going to leave Juventus because basically Juventus have been quite uh, clear about it. They can't afford to keep him um, because his wages are so high. Um, so he, he's, he's got to go somewhere else. It could be um, Man United, where he basically started to uh, make his name, didn't he, at Man U, uh, when he was uh, a younger man. Or also Paris Saint-Germain um, had been mooted. But uh, I, th- I think he's definitely going to leave Juventus. But uh, we'll have to see. Man United, I, I would like to see him back at Man United, um, just so that we could... Focus on him more. If he went to Paris Saint-Germain, we don't follow French football, do we? Mm. OK. Wouldn't it be nice if he turned up at Liverpool? OK. That's <laughs> the, just about it for the week. Well, well, Leeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it'd be nice, wouldn't it? OK, yeah. Rob, that's great. Thank you very much indeed, as ever. Uh, stay safe and obviously have a good week. My pleasure as always, Vince. Speak soon. <laughs>